CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. My name is Michael Ian Black. I am your host, your reader, your friend, your confidant, your confident confidant, your literary scholar of some note, your amateur Victorian era specialist. And you know, I'm an amateur because there's probably an actual word for that, for the professionals who do that. Victorianologists or some such thing. Anyway, we're reading Jude the Obscure and... We're well into it at this point. We've got a love triangle. We've got Jude. We've got Sue. We've got Phillotson now coming to Melchester. Melchester, where Sue was enrolled in college. She ran away. She didn't tell her fiance Phillotson. She just took off like two weeks ago. So he showed up and he's like, where's Sue? And they're like, Sue? She left like two weeks ago, stupid. And he's like, my God. And then he and Jude have a little talk. And Phillotson's like, "Uh, were you bopping my baby? And Jude is like, I did no such thing. And Jude is telling the truth. Although what he's not saying is that he's madly in love with her. He told Phillotson he would marry her if he could. But not because he loves her, but just because it would be great to have some place to live that wasn't lodgings here and there. So they're both kind of dancing around this thing. And Phillotson's like, come on, man, did you sleep with my my girl? And and Jude's like, I swear I didn't. And Phillotson's like, all right, good enough for me. And that's where we are right now. The schoolmaster rose. Each of the twain felt that the interview could not comfortably merge in a friendly discussion of their recent experiences after the manner of friends, and when Jude had taken him round and shown him some features of the renovation which the old cathedral was undergoing, Phillotson bade the young man good day and went away. Yeah, because what happens is, as a guy, when you go up to another guy and say, have you been sleeping with my fiancé? 
and the guy says, no, it's hard at that point for the conversation to go. So um, what's going on? What have you been up to? Like, that's just, it's an, it's an uneasy conversation at that point. So Jude, who'd been working at this cathedral where Phillips and Psalm, uh, is like, hey, check out these cornices and check out uh, the nave here and check out this other stuff. And, and Phillipson's like, all right, good stuff. Got to go. This visit took place about 11 o'clock in the morning, but no Sue appeared. When Jude went to his dinner at one, he saw his beloved ahead of him in the street leading up from the north gate, walking as if in no way looking for him. Speedily overtaking her, he remarked that he had asked her to come to him at the cathedral and she had promised. I have been to get my things from the college, she said, an observation which he was expected to take as an answer, though it was not one. Right, it wasn't. Hey, Sue, meet me at the cathedral. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. And then when she doesn't show up, he's like, Sue, I thought we agreed we were going to meet the cathedral. I was picking up my things. Right, but you didn't meet me at the cathedral. I was picking up my things at the college. She's. Th- Remember how Arabella was the worst? Sue is the worst. Sue is the worst. Arabella was just a dumb country girl. Sue is a master of the subtle art of mind fuckery. Finding her to be in this evasive mood, he felt inclined to give her the information so long withheld. You have not seen Mr. Phillotson today, he ventured to inquire. I have not, but I am not going to be cross-examined about him, and if you ask anything more, I won't answer. It is very odd that he stopped regarding her. What? That you are often not so nice in your real presence as you are in your letters. Does it really seem so to you, said she, smiling with quick curiosity? Well, that's strange. But I feel just the same about you, Jude. When you are gone away, I seem such a cold-hearted... As she knew his sentiment towards her, Jude saw that they were getting upon dangerous ground. It was now, he thought, that he must speak as an honest man. Well, it's about time, Jude. But he did not speak. Of course not! And she continued. It was that which made me write and say, I didn't mind your loving me if you wanted too much. The exultation he might have felt at what that implied, or seemed to imply, was nullified by his intention, and he rested rigid till he began. I have never told you. Yes, you have, murmured she. I mean, I have never told you my history, all of it. But I guess it, I know nearly. So what he's saying is, I never told you that I'm married. I'm actually married under the law to this chick, Arabella, who made me kill a pig and is now in Australia. Jude looked up. Could she possibly know of that morning performance of his with Arabella, which in a few months had ceased to be a marriage more completely than by death? He saw that she did not. I can't quite tell you here in this street, he went on with a gloomy tongue, and you had better not come to my lodgings. Let us go in here. The building by which they stood was the market house. It was the only place available, and they entered, the market being over and the stalls and areas empty. 
He would have preferred a more congenial spot, but as usually happens, in place of a romantic field or solemn aisle for his tale, it was told while they walked up and down over a floor littered with rotten cabbage leaves and amid all the usual squalors of decayed vegetable matter and unsaleable refuse. Well, Tom's painting quite a little picture for us here, isn't he? He's saying, look... I have this horrible secret to tell you, this thing that I have been neglecting to inform you of because I I knew that it would cause me great shame and I knew that it would imperil whatever relationship we may have. And so he brings her into the place of decay and unsold goods, unsaleable goods, because Jude himself is now an unsaleable good. And so he, they're wandering through among the cabbages and the old onions. He began and finished his brief narrative, which merely led up to the information that he had married a wife some years earlier, and that his wife was living still. Almost before her countenance had time to change, she hurried out the words, Why didn't you tell me before? I couldn't. It seems so cruel to tell it to yourself, Jude. So it was better to be cruel to me. No, dear darling, cried Jude passionately. He tried to take her hand, but she withdrew it. Their old relations of confidence seemed suddenly to have ended, and the antagonisms of sex to sex were left without any counterpoising predilections. I don't know what that means. The antagonisms of sex to sex. Okay, so the 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 the, the anger between man and woman. Right? She was his comrade, friend, unconscious sweetheart. No longer. That's what I am to you, you guys. I am your comrade. I am your friend. I am your unconscious sweetheart. But now, Sue is not those things to Jude, and her eyes regarded him in estranged silence. I was ashamed of the episode in my life which brought about the marriage, he continued. I can't explain it precisely now. I could have done it if you had taken it differently. But how can I, she burst out. Here I've been saying or writing that that you might love me or something of the sort. Just... (laughs) She says, just out of charity. (laughs) What a bitch. You might love me just out of charity. And all the time, oh, it is perfectly damnable how things are, she said, stamping her foot in a nervous quiver. You take me wrong, Sue. I never thought you cared for me at all, till quite lately. So I felt it did not matter. Do you care for me, Sue? You know how I mean I don't like out of charity at all. No, I should think not. Yes, you may love me, and and I will allow it out of charity, Jude. Because I am such a good-hearted person, and you are such a mealy worm that it would cause me no harm at all to allow you to love me. But think about the joy that it would bring to you, you mealworm. That's what she's basically saying to him. She's saying, you are nothing, and so out of charity, I will allow you to love me. What is that? That's like the worst thing somebody could say to another person. God. I'm trying to think if I have ever loved somebody who felt sorry for me. Probably everybody I've ever loved. That's probably right. Probably everyone. Okay. Well, we'll be back here in a minute on Obscure. 
This is Obscure. And Sue basically just told Jude that she'll let him love her out of charity. And there's really no uh, better way to put it. I'll go on. It was a question which, in the circumstances, Sue did not choose to answer. The question meaning, uh, do you care for me, Sue? I suppose she, your wife, is a very pretty woman, even if she's wicked, she asked quickly. She's pretty enough as far as that goes. Prettier than I am, no doubt. Oh my God, Sue, stop fishing. Like, even in this moment of of revelation and deep vulnerability on Jude's part. Sue's like, but am I pretty? I mean, who are you? Who are you, Sue? You are just the most insecure, heinous gal that I have ever had the displeasure of knowing. And that is what Jude should say. But he's not going to. He's going to reassure her how pretty she is compared to his stupid wife, Arabella. Prettier than I am, no doubt. You are not the least alike, and I have never seen her for years. But she's sure to come back. They always do, he says. Jude, who is so experienced in matters of the heart, knows, surely knows, what they always do. And incidentally, I've been predicting Arabella's return, right? I've been saying that from the very beginning. But I really am very worldwise. I mean, I've had, God, it's got to be three to five lovers in my life. And so I know the ways of the fairer sex. I know the way they operate, their wily manners, and their vituperative personalities. How strange of you to stay apart from her like this, said Sue, her trembling lip and lumpy throat belying her irony. You such a religious man. How will the demigods in your pantheon, I mean those legendary persons you call saints, intercede for you after this? Now, if I had done such a thing, it would have been different and not remarkable, for I at least don't regard marriage as a sacrament. Your theories are not so advanced as your practice. Sue, you are terribly cutting when you like to be a perfect Voltaire, but you must treat me as you will. When she saw how wretched he was, she softened, and trying to blink away her sympathetic tears, said with all the winning reproachfulness of a heart-hurt woman, You should have told me before you gave me that idea that you wanted to be allowed to love me. I had no feeling before that moment at the railway station, except for once Sue was as miserable as he. Good in her attempts to keep herself free from emotion and her less than half success. Don't cry, dear, he implored. I am not crying because I meant to love you, but because of your want of confidence. Right, right. You see what she's saying? She's saying, I gave you every opportunity to love me in the way that I wanted to be loved. But I, I basically threw myself at you on multiple occasions. We bedded down for the night at the farmer's house, the two of us. You could have had me at your disposal. I don't take marriage as a sacrament. If you had done that, Jude, if you had done that and shown yourself worthy of my love, then I wouldn't have cared about the marriage part because I don't give a shit about the sacrament of marriage. 
so-called sacrament of marriage. You remember, I'm a pagan, dude. I do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. That's just my way, man. That's her taking a bong hit. But now she feels like it is impossible because now she knows things she can't unknow. And if he had crossed that barrier before she had known it, then perhaps, perhaps she could have let it slip. She could have given herself over, but now she can't. That's what she's saying. They were quite screened from the market square without, and he could not help putting out his arm towards her waist. Oh, remember when uh, Phillotson did that and Jude saw them and she brushed away his hand. His momentary desire was the means of her rallying. No, no, she said, drawing back stringently and wiping her eyes. Of course not. It would be hypocrisy to pretend that it would be meant as from my cousin and it can't be in any other way. She's like, no, so, no, somebody might see and you and, and I, it would no cousin would do that. There's no interpretation other than we are lovers. And she let Phillotson do it. She let Phillotson put his arm around her waist. And in fact, that's what they became lovers, if not in the physical deed, then in the intention. They moved on a dozen paces and she showed herself recovered. It was distracting to Jude, and his heart would have ached less had she appeared anyhow but as she did appear, essentially large-minded and generous on reflection, despite a previous exercise of those narrow, womanly humors on impulse that were necessary to give her sex. So, the fact that she seems recovered is actually more upsetting to Jude than if she had just remained kind of quivery and a tremble. So she appears large-minded and generous on reflection, despite a previous exercise of those narrow womanly humors on impulse that were necessary to give her sex. I don't know what those are. I don't know what those narrow womanly humors are that make her a woman. I don't know what that means. Uh, it's not sentimentality. What is it? What are womanly humors? I mean, some women... Like, I mean, what's a womanly humor? I mean, some, some ladies like to joke about it. It's, it's wine o'clock somewhere. Maybe that's what they mean. That she's making a joke about it being wine o'clock. Come on over, have a cab, Stacy. I really shouldn't. Come on, it's wine o'clock somewhere. And then that's a very narrow womanly humor. I don't blame you for what you couldn't help, she said, smiling. How should I be so foolish? I do blame you a little bit for not telling me before, but after all, it doesn't matter. We should have had to keep apart, you see, even if this had not been in your life. Oh, so she's just putting on a mask. She's just being cold, uh, cold Sally now. Sally has just dipped herself in ice water and she's given him the business. And well, it really doesn't matter, Jude, because I was never going to be with you anyway. I think we both know that. And Jude is like, no, we shouldn't sue. This is the only obstacle. You forget that I must have loved you 
and wanted to be your wife, even if there had been no obstacle, said Sue, with a gentle seriousness, which which did not reveal her mind. And then we are cousins, and it is bad for cousins to marry, and I am engaged to somebody else. As to our going on together as we were going, in a sort of friendly way, the people round us would have made it unable to continue. Their views of the relations of man and woman are limited, as is proved by their expelling me from the school. Their philosophy only recognizes relationships based on animal desire, the wide field of strong attachment where desire plays at least only a secondary part is ignored by them, the part of, who is it, Venus Urania. What? I gotta look up Venus Urania. I don't know what that means. But she's, you know, she's putting on a whole little act here and she's acting like, no, no. I mean, she, you know, it's a, it's a kind of sour grapes thing. And she's saying it never could have been between us anyway. So, you know, so no biggie. But I think it's clear at this part that she was thinking about it. Aphrodite Urania was an epithet of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Okay, but I guess Venus is the same thing. Uh, So she's basically just saying, you know, she's, she's once again making allusions to an earlier era. And that's where Sue lives. Sue lives a long time ago. And now I'm going to take some time for a little breaky-wakey. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, I'm back. Going to wrap up Chapter 6. Her being able to talk learnedly showed that she was mistress of herself again. And before they parted, she had almost regained her vivacious glance, her reciprocity of tone, her gay manner, and her second thought attitude of critical largeness towards others of her age and sex. He could speak more freely now. There were several reasons against my telling you rashly. One was what I have said. Another that it was always impressed upon me that I ought not to marry, that I belonged to an odd and peculiar family, the wrong breed for marriage. Ah, who used to say that to you? My great-aunt, she said it always ended badly with us Fowleys. That's strange. My father used to say the same to me. They stood possessed by the same thought, ugly enough, even as an assumption, that a union between them 
had such been possible, would have meant a terrible intensification, two bitters in one dish. I like that. That's a good image, I think. Two bitters in one dish. You can have a sweet and a bitter. You can have maybe a sweet and a savory. You can have a salty and a bitter. No, that probably wouldn't be good. Um, Whatever you eat with orange rind, that's what you have. And then they pretended to persuade themselves that all that had happened was of no consequence and that they could still be cousins and friends and warm correspondents and have happy genial times when they met, even if they met less frequently than before. Their parting was in good friendship, and yet Jude's last look into her eyes was tinged with inquiry, for he felt that he did not even now, quite know her mind. Yes, well, that has been the problem with Sue Bridehead from the very beginning, hasn't it? Now, one question here is, Jude does not know her mind, right? That's obvious. The reader, I don't feel like, quite knows Sue's mind. That uh, seems apparent. Less apparent to me is at this point in the book, does Thomas Hardy even know Sue's mind? He keeps going back and forth with her so much that I wonder if he is confounded, if he is as confounded by her as all of us reading and commenting as we go. And if she is so confounding to even Thomas Hardy, and certainly to us, why are these dudes so into her? Because she's a mess. She's a hot mess. Now, I have known people like this, probably of both sexes, and things don't go well for them because they do not know their own minds. They do not know who they are or what they are. Sue certainly has some glimmerings of herself. We, we know that she um, is a suicide girl in the burlesque sense. And we know that she, you know, will rip a bong hit now and again. And we know she'll go out and buy pervy statues. And we know that she is given to passion, that she is given to great emotion. But what I think Sue wants more than anything, and I'm just, I'm stepping out on a thick limb here and, and I may get attacked for saying something that could be, that could be construed as sexist, but I don't care because I think this is kind of what Thomas Hardy is getting at. I think what she wants more than anything is to be tamed, if that makes sense. She wants to be contained. She wants somebody who will, yes, love her for who she is, even if she isn't quite sure who she is, but who will also make her feel safe in her own wildness. Does that make sense? That's the end of chapter six. Um, A little update on where we are in the book. I don't feel like I've kept you updated, but um, we're right about the halfway mark. So when I decided early to do this, I said to myself, well, it'll probably be about 40 or 50 episodes. No, friends. It's going to be into the 70s, I think, if past performance is any indication of future success. We're just going to keep going here. So you have that to look forward to. I'm having fun. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know what your life is like. Mine is a mine is a wreck. You know, I've got a shit dog. I've got a career that's in the toilet 
and I spend my days reading a book from 1895 out loud and commenting on it as I go as a podcast. What is that? But I'm doing it, and there's a lot of joy in my heart with for it. Also, of note, you may have noticed that my voice today was a little bit uh, oleaginous, which is a word that means oily. And uh, that's because I just had some bacon right before I came in here. It was delicious. And Jude, remember when he killed that pig and we were all like, oh, it's terrible. He's killing that pig and the pig is suffering. And Arabella's like, let the blood, let it bleed to death slow. And we're like, oh, that's horrible. But guess what? That pig made some great bacon. And that's what I just had before I came in here. I had a kale salad and I had some bacon. And now it is time for me to conclude the episode with a song. There's no song. All right, everybody. Next week, we're going we're gonna to see what happens. Is Sue going to marry Phillotson? And when that happens, what will her relationship with Jude be like? And although they have said they're going to stay away from each other and meet in, in just uh, as friends from here on out, Jude, we know, has not given up. Sue, we know, has not closed the door entirely. She always leaves the door open a crack, as does Jude. At some point... Both doors are going to swing wide open. And when that happens, that cursed foully name, the name that says a union between them had had such, even if it had been possible, would have meant a terrible intensification, two bitters in one dish. I am just sitting here waiting for those two bitters in the dish. And I just want my lips to pucker up and go how bitter that was. That's what I want. Maybe we'll get it. I hope so. I mean, look, we've got another 35, 36 episodes to figure it out. In the meantime, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black. Dolly, y'all! This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que nos está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hold on, Spanish Aki Presents. <laughs> <laughs>